Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. When Alex Haley's book Roots was written and then made into a TV miniseries in the mid-1970s, it motivated many people to research their own family histories. Since then, genealogy has been a popular hobby. But while Haley relied on stories handed down from his ancestors to get started, today there are many more resources and technology to help discover the history of your family. On today's program, we answer questions you may have about genealogy, always one of our more popular programs of the year. Joining us today is Jonathan Steyer, the Supervisor of Reference Services for the Pennsylvania State Archives. Mr. Steyer, welcome back to the program. Good morning, Scott. Also joining us is Kara Curtis, Archives and Library Manager with the Cumberland County Historical Society. Ms. Curtis, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Now, this program is for you to answer, ask questions, I should say. Uh, and I, when I say we answer your questions, I'm not part of that we. Uh, our two guests will answer your questions today. If you have a question about genealogy, family history, uh, maybe you've tried, maybe you started, maybe you want to get started, all the basics, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. I mentioned the miniseries Roots, Alex Haley's Roots, in the mid-'70s. And, of course, uh, just uh, a few months ago, there was a remake of the miniseries that aired on the History Channel. I'm curious, have the two of you seen an uptick in people uh, researching their family histories as a result of of that remake like it happened in the 70s? I, I don't think we've seen an uptick at the State Archives. Uh, we continue to have about the same number of uh, people coming in to do genealogical research. However, I will mention that the uh, TV shows Who Do You Think You Are ah. have generated interest in archives and unfortunately they've created an unrealistic expectation that a person can walk into a facility and find all these wonderful things about their ancestors not realizing that the producers who put those programs together hired professional researchers and spent sometimes weeks or months compiling information before they aired uh, the uh, show and showing the documents and so forth. And I actually think more recently that show has been more of an inf impact than the, the Roots series. Actually, so. I think you, I, I can see that, but uh, I also can see how many people would think, uh, oh, it's television. It has to happen that way, that uh, you just walk in, someone's sits down with you, an archivist sits down with you, and pa, there it is. And uh, yeah, I think that if people looked at the credits, they would see that uh, there are a lot of people involved in those things. So you would agree with that, I Karen? definitely agree with that, and I've done research for an episode of Who Do You Think You oh, Are? Oh, really? Um, the Rob Lowe episode. Um, his ancestor was a Hessian soldier who was captured and eventually ends up settling in Cumberland County for a period of time before moving on to Ohio. I remember that. And... Uh, really hard, a lot of research, and he was well hidden, um, his ancestor oh, I, was. But oh, I was going to say, he, was, he, did you meet Rob I did not because we didn't uh, have any really good primary sources, that, nothing like to really pop on the TV uh -huh. uh, show, so we found him here. Some of his kids were baptized in Shippensburg, um, but he didn't actually come to Cumberland County, unfortunately, but uh, it was a great, it was fun for me to research and be a part of, but I can only imagine what they did for every aspect of that episode, um, months of research before they even put it together to package it for TV. So, and then you watch, you know, the hour episode and it's, it's, so a, easy. it's magical. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. Well, when you say that uh, his ancestors were a little bit difficult, what do you mean? What was difficult about it? Well, he kept not appearing in the, t there, 
It starts annually, but eventually it's a triennial, and they do a tax rate. They assess you for what you're going to have to pay for taxes uh, every three years in the beginning every year. And he kept not being on those. I'm like, how? He didn't pay his taxes. Uh, I, no, they didn't assess him. Oh, so this okay. isn't actually what they're. This is what they're supposed to pay. Uh-huh. But he's not on the lists. So I found him on. Pennsylvania kept a septennial census, which was done every seven years for a period of time. And I found him there. And then he's hopping around between different townships. So maybe he was moving when they did this and he was left off. And I found him in church records. When they first contacted me, they're like, he's German. He's probably going to anglicize his name and want to blend in. And I'm like, not in Western Cumberland County. He would have been perfectly fine being German keeping his language and his name in a Germanic way. So there's that. But I had to dig deep into the records it to find him since he, he didn't really set he only was only here maybe ten, fifteen years. He didn't really dig his roots deep into Cumberland County. So he's uh-huh. moving around finding maybe a tenant jobs, farming. And so he kept moving around where the work was and not leaving a big paper trail. Huh. But he was a Hessian soldier mm-hmm. and decided to stay here. Mm-hmm. Huh. All right, let's talk about some of the basics because uh, I know that we have people out there who are listening today and say, you know, I've tried, I've thought about it, but I don't really know how to get started. So one of the basic questions, uh, Jonathan, how do you get started? Well, I think the very first thing anyone should do when they're researching their family history is to uh, gather as much information as they can from people who are living, from sources that they may have available to them, such as family Bibles. They might have uh, newspaper clippings or obituaries uh, that somebody in the family kept, and to uh, organize that information in a way that you know what uh, data you have for each generation of the family as far back as you can go. When I first started, I talked to my father and my grandparents and just made a very simple pedigree chart showing back as far as they could tell me, which was about to uh, my great or great great grandparents. And then, based upon that, I started doing research in the records. Of course, today we have some big, powerful websites such as Ancestry.com, FamilySearch.org, um, MyHeritage, uh, Genealogy.com, many of them. And uh, you can go to those, plug in names, and get lots of lots of information. And now today. Many times, if, somebody, if I'm just getting started on a name or a family, I'll just go to Ancestry.com, put in what I know about the person, and see what comes up. Um, another thing that's very good to use to start with since 1850 is the census. The census was taken every uh, 10 years. Uh, the censuses for uh, up to 1940 have been released to the public. And starting in 1850 up through 1940, the censuses list all members of the household. And uh, many, many times you can almost do what I call a desktop genealogy. You sit down at your desk, use a census, and you can trace your family back through the census quite quickly uh, for, you know, 100 or maybe about 150 years. And the, the census is a very nice uh, way to do that. And Ancestry uh, does that. If you plug in a name in Ancestry, you'll find those names on the censuses as well uh, fairly, fairly quickly. So th- those are some of the, the starting points. Um, since Kara is here, I'll, I'll put in a plug for county historical societies. Uh, county historical societies across Pennsylvania have wonderful resources, and many of them have files on particular families. So if you're looking at a particular surname, go to the county historical society and see if they have a file on your surname and see what might be in there. There may have been research that's been done mm-hmm. already. Why 1850 census? 
That was the first census when they listed all members of the household. Okay. That was just a change in the way that they were re- recording the data for the federal government. Mm-hmm. And um, there's an older book, I think it was published in the 70s, which everyone should read, entitled uh, The American Census, A Social History, which explains year by year why the federal government asked the questions that they did on the census and how that had impact on uh, social policy in the United States, which is a, a very in- interesting book because, you know, you can see as immigration rises in the late 19th century, they're asking more questions about where people came from, when they arrived, whether or not they were naturalized. And uh, then after, uh, I, guess, I don't know if it was after World War One, but they, some of the censuses they ask about military service because they're trying to find out how many veterans they have yeah. to deal with. And, and it's and, always a question that a lot of people have about their family members. Oh, did I yeah. have a, an ancestor who was fought in the Civil War or the Revolution or something like that? Kara, now, Jonathan, and I'm going to have him tell a story here in a moment, mm-hmm. but you you probably have done your own family. Uh, uh, I've done some. I haven't been able to dedicate as much time to it because I'm helping other people with theirs, but I've done some, and my uncle, uh, with what I found, was able to go back to Ireland and travel some of the same roads and see the farmhouse and the graves of some of our ancestors, and now he wants me to do a little more digging in my spare time. So I have done some, and... A lot of my family is from Cumberland County, so I'm looking for something for someone else. I typically wander across my own family names, and I'm like, ooh, and I get excited <laughs> um, and make a note of that to come back to it later. So, Anybody famous, excited. infamous? In my family? Yeah. Not that I know of, mm. but famous to me. They're important to me uh, anyway. Okay. Well, see, I waited, Jonathan, because I remember the, one of the last times you were on, you had someone that uh, you working for the state for a long time. I can't remember exactly. Tell me the story, though. Well, I actually have uh, what I consider two claims to fame. I'm a direct descendant of um, Jacob Hertzler, who was the first Amish bishop in the United States. And I'm also a direct descendant of Hendrik Pennebecker, who was a surveyor who did survey work for William Penn uh, and and his uh, sons. So um, those are my two important people in my ancestry, although I always tell people every family has a story. Yeah, see, that's just it. I was going to say is when those shows, when you see those TV shows, everyone has someone that uh, they were related to. When you think about it, and you start going back hundreds of years, and you have dozens of ancestors, it's not difficult to, to, to find someone but, I mean, are there actually sites where you can search to see if you're related to someone who's well-known or had an impact? I don't know about that. I think it's just the process of tracing it back, and then eventually you stumble across someone. And there are sites that kind of like the, the older uh, that people still publish their genealogies in book form or in binder form. Um, some of those people have put them online form. And then, granted, I say anytime you're looking at one of those to you know, check the data, check their sources, because sometimes people aren't telling you where they're finding this information, and you have to question, is this right? How do they know this? But um, looking at some of those, you can go, they go further back, and you can say, oh, I am related to this person, at least until I go and double-check that information. So Mm. you just, I don't think there's a site where you can just plug in a name and see if you're related. But that can get people in trouble, because like Jonathan said, start with yourself and work backwards. And then people hear, oh, I'm related to so-and-so, important, John Armstrong, I don't know. And they want to work forward. And that makes life so much more complicated. I'm related to Molly Pitcher. Well, start with your parents and grandparents and keep working back. Don't go Molly Pitcher forward because that's going to cause 
a lot of headaches for you. And we don't even know if Molly Pitcher ex- existed, right? Well, yes, she we existed. Do. <laughs> what? We do. At the State Archives, we have the original Act of Assembly, which granted Mo- her name at that time was Molly McCauley, $40 for her service in the Revolutionary War. And what's really neat is not only do we have that Act of Assembly, we have the original receipt on which she made her mark acknowledging that she received she the, the $40. Um, that would be an indication that she could not write, but you can't always take that. It might have just been that, uh, depending on her stage in life, she wasn't uh, signing her name. Well, see, I asked that question because, you know, when you read books about it, sometimes they describe them, describe Molly Pitcher as several different people. And there are those who said it was a myth, too, that we never have proven. You're saying that it is proven. It, we, we know that Molly, we know that Molly McCauley did something in the Civil War, or, I'm sorry, the Revolutionary War, that was worthy of receiving money from the state government. Now, you know, the story is at the Battle of Monmouth that her husband was wounded or killed, I forget which, and, and, and she took over the, the cannon. I don't know whether that story has actually been documented, but actually, um, Molly McCauley did something because the state, the, presumably the legislature would not have appropriated money because $40 was a fairly standard pension amount at that time. I don't think they would appropriate that money to her unless she had done something that was worthy of receiving that money. And in Cumberland County, Molly Pitcher has to be important. She is important, at, but we also know that her story is complex. Uh, we don't, we can't, she was a patriot. She served her country. We know that. But did she man a cannon? Yeah. The cannonball probably didn't go between her legs and leave a hole in her skirt. But I never heard that before. Yeah, there's all sorts of, and that George Washington spoke with her. There's all the, the myths around her, but there's also... A woman who was born in what was Cumberland County in modern-day Franklin County, because Cumberland County used to be significantly larger than right. its modern boundaries, basically to Pittsburgh and north into Center County. So, a woman who was born in modern-day Franklin County, Margaret Margaret Cochran Corbin, actually receives a federal pension for being wounded in battle. So, she's another Molly Pitcher, and so their stories probably combined and. The other one, the one born in Franklin County, her remains were reinterred at West Point. So she's buried at West Point now. So she is quite in a better documented story than ours. Her history, because of that, being wounded in battle. But ours received a pension from the state. She did something. She's a patriot, but... We'll probably never have all the answers. Our Molly Pitcher. Yeah. We, we, yeah. <laughs> the one born in Cumberland County. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're discussing genealogy, answering your questions about genealogy and researching your family history today. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call. Uh, If you have a question, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who do have questions, or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. We'd like to hear your stories. Have you done any uh, genealogy research? What did you find? How difficult was it? Did you run up against uh, uh, some kind of hurdle or uh, a stumbling block, Uh, maybe related to someone famous? How do you know that for sure? Tell us your stories, 1-800-729-7532. All right, uh, we talked about how to get started. Um, You know, and just quickly, you know, you talked about some of the the, the places, and actually a lot of those sound on, like you can access online nowadays. But if someone wants to physically go to the county or uh, the state where uh, their their ancestors lived, 
where's a good first place to start? Well, uh, I always advise people who are doing research in Pennsylvania, if they can, to go to the County Historical Society first, because usually that will be the place that has the most information about uh, families in that area. And uh, Pennsylvania is somewhat politically, but in terms of records, is is very much at a, a county level. And uh, even when people are coming from out of state, I ask them what counties are doing research. And if they're going to have to go through a county to get to the state archives, I say go to that county's historical society first and see what you can find there. Uh, because in many cases, county historical sites have vast resources way beyond what the state archives or state library has for a particular county. And uh, you may find things about a family that have already been put together so you can save yourself some time. On the other hand, if you want to do some one-stop shopping, <laughs> then I would advise uh, coming to the State Archives and the State Library. At the State Archives, we have microfilm copies of many county records for counties all across the state. And so an individual could come to the State Archives and look at wills or deeds, uh, orphans court records, tax records, uh, birth, marriage, and death registers on microfilm without having to travel all the different courthouses. And that's what some people do. Uh, who are coming from out of state and they have a limited amount of time, they'll come to the state archives and use our resources. And then the state library has uh, published uh, family genealogies, county histories, and so forth. Um, but I always tell people, I mean, there's a limit to what we have, particularly for the, the counties. And so it's well worth going to the county historic societies. And I must say that the Cumberland County that CARA represents has one of the best uh, county historical societies in the state. It's a fantastic resource there. Well, let's uh, turn to uh, the historical society in Cumberland County, and this is representative of other counties in our listening area, but CARA, when someone comes to you and says, okay, I'm just starting, Mm -hmm. Uh, my ancestors are from Cumberland County, Mm -hmm. where do you point them? We typically start with the files that Jonathan's talked about. We have we call genealogy files, and every time we've done research for someone over the years, we add them into the fi- files or create a new file. And sometimes people give us a page or two that they've worked up on their family that's not a, a book or something that can go on the shelf, gets added into those files. So we start there. Why reinvent the wheel? If there's good information there, start there. And it might be a different branch of the same surname because they're just by surname. Mm-hmm. So that's the part we normally start people with. Uh, we also ha- uh, have an index to our church and cemetery records, which is unique to us, which is over 900 sources indexed by name. Um, so we don't obviously have records for every church that was ever in Cumberland County, but we do have a fair amount. Most of the cemeteries have been inventoried, so we have the tombstones marked for those. And at different times, because sometimes stones have gone missing and things like that. So some of the big things that we'd like to k- get people if they come to us, the things that are unique to us. They're probably not going to want to look at the census because they may have already done that. And you can find that elsewhere. But what, when you come to us, can't you find anywhere else? So that's what we really want people to be able to do. And what makes Pennsylvania and maybe some of the other early colonies complicated is the way the land breaks. So it's very important to be aware of where you're at in Pennsylvania. Cumberland County doesn't exist until 1750. So if your family was in Cumberland County before that, 
you're really part of Lancaster County, so mm-hmm. you may have to go to Lancaster County. So those records That's, before mm-hmm. Cumberland County, even though it's Go- Cumberland yeah. County today, would be in Lancaster the, County. The government record, the, the, the county government records, wills, taxes, deeds, any of those records are going to be in the, the county that what that it was a part of at that time. So Perry County is the last county to break from Cumberland County in 1820. So from the time basically Cumberland County is founded until 1820, all of those Perry County government county level government records are part of Cumberland County. And then on top of the counties breaking off, townships are breaking off too. And I lovingly say a a person could have never moved in their entire life, but I've lived in different counties and different townships. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of track those land changes to know where you need to look. Mm -hmm. If you need to be looking for a different township, if you need to be looking for a different county. And that's a big question we get is, where are the records for this person there was a break. And I'm like, well, before 1820, the records are going to be with Cumberland County. So that's a big question that comes up a lot for Pennsylvania is the way the land is breaking. And so you have to know some history. Yes. And there are some guides that help people with that um, because it's complicated and we can't remember all the dates of when all the townships and everything formed and when all the counties break. And there's counties breaking off of other counties. It's complicated. Um, So you have to know a little bit of history, but knowing history helps with the genealogy anyway. Maybe there's a reason your family's come. Why did your family come over in a certain year? Was there a famine? Was there war? Right. Economic downturn? And that's the kind of thing you really want to know other than just the dates and where they lived, occupations. Those are the things that are, are, are kind of fascinating. We have some emails here. Sure. Melanie, my husband's grandmother was adopted but didn't find out until she was in her 60s and passed away not long after that. We have her original birth certificate from Michigan and have checked on Ancestry for information on her birth parents, but are having trouble finding any information. Do you have suggestions that might help us get any information on her birth family? I'm sure this is one of the real challenges that a family and you run into is when there is an adoption involved. Well, my first question is always, was it a legal adoption or was it just that the family took the child in? And uh, legal adoption was relatively rare until the middle middle and late 20th century. Um, I, I can cite stories from my own family where ancestors were taken in by other families because their, their, their birth family was too poor to take care of them. And um, that kind of family that took them in was sort of considered their their the family that raised them, but they, they weren't legally adopted. So the first thing you have to do is, was, was the person legally adopted? Um, and I, I would need to know dates. I, I would probably go back to what I said at the beginning, and that is uh, go to the census and see what the census tells you first about where the, where the person's living and what their uh, connections are. Um, and I think adoption laws, I'm not as clear on adoption laws as they should be, but I think adoption laws vary from state to state. And here in Pennsylvania, they're, they're pretty restrictive, and, and you still need to, I believe, get a court order to get access. Even from years ago? Yes. Yeah, really? re, re, adoption records are sealed uh, uh, permanently. Hmm. I have one from uh, Manuel here, an email. He says, I've researched back to the mid-1500s for my family. I'd like to find some of the details on several of them. How would I find out why two of my ancestors were knighted? I have a Sir John Park of, and I believe this is Athelwaite in England. Also, how frequently do you see names modified? Mine is Park's. Two generations ago was Park with just singular. Uh, before that, Park with an E on the end. 
before that parks with an E and an S. Uh, this is, is, is fairly common, the second part of his question. The name that I, you get people who are like, well, my ancestor always spelled their name this way. And maybe they did, but they're not the only one that wrote their name down. Um, so always assume variant spellings. I read somewhere at one point that if you gave your name, even first name sometimes, to a group of like second graders, if you said it to them, how are they going to spell it? And you'd probably get it spelled 15 maybe different ways. Um, try, you have to try those different spellings. And then the other issue with the different spellings is, as we have these databases and indexes, someone's reading that older handwriting and maybe- Which is hard. Which is hard. Um, they interpreted it wrong. So every time you're further removed from the original document, there's another chance for error. So maybe the name in the original spelled correctly, correctly, but um, it was transcribed wrong. So there could be a different spelling because of that. So. The, the spelling thing is very, very common to try different spellings and don't limit yourself to just the modern spelling. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, what about the knighted thing? I have no idea. Really? <laughs> I, I really honestly don't know how that process works. That's mostly a European thing. And um, I, I, there are books on heraldry out there. I think if you would check a book on heraldry, that may explain how the process works. And um, there is a, I want to say, College of Heraldry in England and they probably have a website that would have information about that. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the reasons some of our ancestors came to the United States was to get away from titles and, and all this. And that's why I always am amused by the fascination of Americans with the British royalty, because that was what the revolution was about. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> all right, here's one from Dora who asked, how could I uh, or where could I look at the records of fugitive slave proceedings from Dauphin, Lancaster, and Cumberland counties that were held after the Fugitive Slave Act created special federal slave commissioners? Is there microfilm that I could borrow or find in the mid-state area? Oh, I should know about that because we get questions about that every now and then. I think most fugitive slave cases, if I remember correctly, were heard in federal court. Uh, some federal court, or at least the published federal court records, I believe, are, some of them are available online. If you know the title of the case, just Google the title, and uh, many times you'll hit the report of that case. Uh, so to just provide some background, yeah. because we try to bring some context, what, what is she talking about? I mean, there was the Fugitive Slave Act. Uh, actually, a couple different fugitive slave laws that were enacted, but when uh, fugitive slaves escaped into Pennsylvania, uh, the law said that the, that we, you know, that no one could harbor them here in Pennsylvania, and if they were captured, they would have to go before a magistrate. Right. Theor theoretically, even though they escaped into a free state, they were still considered property of right. the, the original slave owner. Um, and there, there was a lot of dispute about how this should be handled in Pennsylvania. That's why uh, Pennsylvania became kind of a, uh, I won't say a hotbed, but there, there were cases here in Pennsylvania where people were disputing the right of the slave owner to do that or, or the disputing the fact that the person was indeed a slave because they had some slave catchers who were coming to Pennsylvania and... Just capturing any African-American. That's right. They were right. apprehending free blacks and taking them back to the South and saying, well, they were escaped slaves. And I think that's what some of the cases were about. Um, I, I would probably, like I said, try to, if you know of the case type name, Google that, or the name of the person involved, uh, you, you may see that online, because I have seen some of these uh, uh, case things online. 
I do have a file in my office. If, if she wants to contact me at work, I can see if I have anything on a particular case or cases, or, or she's welcome to come into the archives, and I can make my files available to her. Okay. Our guest uh, during uh, today's program is Jonathan Steyer, the Supervisor of Reference Services for the Pennsylvania State Archives, and Kara Curtis, Archives and Library Manager with the Cumberland County Historical Society. We're talking about genealogy. We'd like to hear from you if you have a question about uh, uh, maybe your family history, something you've run up against, a story you'd like to tell, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, Jonathan, since you have been on the show and we've talked about this before, and we try to do it like at least once a year because it is um, one of the shows that uh, so many people uh, seem to like and find most popular. Um, I ask you to, to look up something for me on my family, um, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background here. This is on my mother's side. My mother's maiden name is Patton, and um, I got this information from a cousin of mine who had done some research. There actually is a book called The, the Patents of Chester County. Now, most of the Patents actually, or at least my ancestors, lived in Lancaster County, Little Britain Township along the, the Maryland border. And where I ran, I, you know, from ancestry and from uh, what my cousin had found, went back to like, actually went back to uh, the late 1700s with someone named Giles. Um, but where I ran into a problem or a roadblock was, would have been my great-great-grandfather named Edward Patton. And the census said that he was a farmer in uh, Little Britain Township, but that's all I could find. That's where it stopped, or for me anyway, of what I could find. So I ask you just to kind of, um, you know, show where the, the roadblocks are and what you do to try to overcome those roadblocks. And you took a, a look. What did you find about Edward Patton? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that uh, actually I didn't consider this to be a roadblock yet because I found quite a bit of information say, on say. Ed, Ed, Edward Patton. <laughs> um, and I, I did trace him back through the censuses. His father was Robert Patton Jr. And uh, Edward Patton was born in 1848, and he shows up on the 1850 census as a two-year-old child in his parents' household, as he should. And uh, in the same township, now this was Little Britain Township, Lancaster County, the same township, is another Robert Patton who has, um, who's a little bit older, and I'm assuming he's the grandfather of Edward. So right there we have three generations coming off of just the 1850 census. Um, you had indicated that his son was um, Robert uh, Kirk Patton, Patton, whose mother was Caroline, and indeed uh, he shows up, Edward shows up on the 1870 and 1880 censuses with the wife Caroline, but in 1900 he shows up on the census with a wife Emma, and he's buried in, um, oh, let me see what cemetery here. I think he said Union. No, he's, he, he's buried oh, he's in... in Edward, Edward Patton is buried in a little Presbyterian cemetery in uh, Peach Bottom, Lancaster County, uh, with his second wife, Emma. And it says on the tombstone, Patton, and I got this off of Finding Grave, Edward S. Patton and Emma, his wife. So I was curious as to how, if these two might be the same person. And I went back to Finding Grave, and I found a, de or a uh, tombstone for Caroline Patton, that was his first wife, and she died in 1882. Now, according to the 1900 census, uh, Edward Stanley Patton had been married 15 years to uh, Emma, 
So they would have been married about 1885, which fits this. So he was married first to Caroline. She died in 1882. And then probably around 1885, he married uh, Emma. And uh, he and Emma did have one child according to the 1900 census. However, he and Caroline, I think, had about three or four uh, children. Uh, Interestingly enough, Edward lived for a while and died in Maryland, but he's buried, buried in Pennsylvania. So his death certificate his, and his probate record will be found in, in, uh, in Cecil County, Maryland. But uh, his burial was here in Pennsylvania, and that's not unusual for families to live down along the Maryland border. And uh, I always like to remind people that, you know, if, when people live close to borders like that, there's no line out there on the ground that says you're in Pennsylvania or in Maryland. And so there was a lot of movement back and, back and forth. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I ask you that uh, can not to get uh, like some free genealogy, but <laughs> be, but uh, I ran into the roadblock. But you you mentioned find a grave, that is a website, correct? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, but you used almost entirely census. Uh, I do census, uh, find a grave. Um, I got Robert Patton. Now this is Edward's son. I got Robert Patton's uh, Pennsylvania death certificate because I wanted to see who Robert Patton's mother was. Because you had said that his mother. Uh, should, should be Caroline Elliot, right. and indeed that's what the the death certificate says. Um, and then I, I was just trying to. I like again. I like to use a census to get a picture of the family every ten years, and uh, it, the census isn't always correct. It's not always accurate, but it's a starting point to begin to understand where the family lived, who may have been in in the household, what their ages were. Some of the censuses give more information than others. So it begins to help you to put the, put the generations right. together. Now, I, again, I ask you to do that just to kind of show as an example of the different places to look. Now, one story you did tell me, though, that uh, there's someone listed as a domestic. Yes. Well, on the... Um, Oh, here. It's the 1870 census. A Margaret Elliot is listed in uh, Edward Patton's household as a domestic, and she is uh, 60 years old. And interestingly enough, uh, the the surname was Patton, P-A-T-T-O-N, but in the 1870 census, apparently a census taker was in a hurry or wasn't listening carefully, put the name down as Patterson. See? So, That's uh, the kind of stuff. And then it's hard enough with the handwriting, but if they're going to screw up the name, <laughs> you know? But uh, so, what about this sixty-year-old? Uh, uh... Well, then in, in eighteen eighty, this Margaret Elliot's listed as the mother-in-law in the same yeah, household. Okay, you can see that, can you? <laughs> Bring the mother-in-law in as domestic. It's you know that probably wouldn't work. I don't think you. I don't think my mother-in-law would go for that nowadays. But thank you very much for that. And again, I hope that that points out some examples of some of the different places that uh, that you need to look. Uh, we have Robin from Lancaster on the line. Robin, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking this topic on. We're delighted to hear uh, Jonathan and Kara talking about county and state resources. I'm the vice president for LancasterHistory.org, which is the Lancaster County Historical Society. Go Lancaster. (laughs) Go Lancaster, absolutely. We've got quite a history here, and so as a result, we have about 2 million documents that relate to Lancaster County's history since 1709. And similar to what Kara and Jonathan said, we have great family files, microfilm, and kind of the full gamut of research resources. And we just would really encourage anyone who is starting their family history to come on in and um, not only use the resources we have, but also talk to our staff. We have, as our our peers in the field do, really well-educated and trained staff who are great in working with the public to try and 
suss out their family histories. Now, where are you located, Robin? We are at the corner of President and Marietta Avenue in okay. uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are right next door to President Buchanan's home. So you can't miss oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Wheatland, yeah. All yes, right. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you called in. Thank you very much for your call. And, it, you know, we have other counties out there that would uh, like to uh, make themselves known. Go to our website, WITF.org, and uh, list addresses and contact information because, uh, you know, that sounds like, Kara, is that a lot of information she was talking about, millions of documents? Yeah, is for it? sure. Yeah. And, and then to also agree with what she said, is to talk to the staff or other genealogists, I say lovingly that genealogy is a collaborative effort. We, as researchers who do this every day, hit roadblocks. And sometimes just talking to another staff member or talking to patrons, you go, and they're like, well, did you try this record? And you're like, why didn't I think of that? Mm. And that happens. So talking to the staff, come in, even if your family's not necessarily from Cumberland County, we might be able to point you in a specific direction. What's the most unusual document or place you've found something? And Jonathan, I'll ask you the same question. Unusual. Because we all think of uh, well, the I tax think, records and obituaries, think, newspapers. Um, there is a misconception about the past that it was all roses and, and flowers and that everyone was married before they had children ah. and these things. And having a child out of wedlock was ended up having a trial, typically, unless they settled out of court. Um, so sometimes you find children like in those records, in the court records, um, and doing things that, that, that it wasn't all sunshine and roses things happened then that happened today so thinking outside the box sometimes they might have they might have ended up getting married after the child was born maybe not but so, before the modern day kind of welfare system someone was responsible for taking care of that child for at least the first seven years and paying a stipend and maybe the, also the expenses for the the mother's laying in costs or birth costs um so it was typically going to be the father of the child and this is just what they're claiming there's no DNA test um, or sometimes the father of the mother would have to be responsible but this happened frequently mm. um, so the misconception that none of that ever happened it never would have happened it, this is a 20th, get, this was a 20th century yeah, thing that, yeah uh, and that, that everyone could, waited to have sex until they got married yeah, yeah, and the whole bit yeah. rose-colored glasses when you think of the past yeah. no these things happened right. um, and and people don't want to hear that and the other place that people overlook I think a lot is the orphans court records um, because they hear orphans court and they think orphan right. without parents. And that's not what that means. The thing it's dealing with, the case itself, is an orphan. It's not a civil case. It's not a criminal case. So it can deal with guardianship. It can also deal with other probate issues, land issues that are showing up maybe after someone dies. So there is so much information in the orphans court, but people hear orphan and completely overlook it because they don't think it applies to them. So... I think that's probably one of the most important records that gets overlooked. Yeah. Jonathan, what about you, Unusual? Well, I could tell you many stories, but I'll just tell you one. At the State Archives, uh, this kind of goes along with what Kara was saying, we have records of the State Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. And um, in the 18th century, the, the judges of the Supreme Court sat as a court of Oyer and Terminer, which was a uh, criminal court. And one type of case that came before criminal court would be cases of infanticide. At the State Archives, we have a wonderful deposition of a uh, young woman who was probably an indentured servant who was accused of infanticide. And uh, the deposition. baby. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the, the deposition is her defense. In that deposition, she tells uh, where she came from in Germany 
how old she was. Uh, when she came to Pennsylvania, how long the, the, the trip took, she confesses that she had uh, sexual relations with a man on the ship who was not her husband. Then she was placed with a, another man as a servant, and she ended up marrying a farmer in Berks County. She recounts all this information. So if that woman is your ancestor, you know where she came from in Europe. You know when she came to Pennsylvania. You know where she spent the first probably, I'm trying to remember, five years or so of her life while she was here. It's a, a fantastic document. It's one that I use in my presentations because it has so rich in information about the individual. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking about genealogy today. 1-800-729-7532 is the phone number. If you have a question or comment you'd like to email in, uh, send it to smarttalk at witf.org. Let's take a phone call here from Gordon in Lancaster. Gordon, you're on the air. Hi, thanks so much, and what a great show. I, Thank you. I listen to this one every year. I've been researching for about 16 years myself. And one of the exciting things I wanted to point out is everyone talks about the census there and uh, finding family members and their stories is that I've kept in my signature line for years as I research finding my cousins one link at a time. And it's fascinating that to sit down sometimes you have to actually read the census page by page and really discover the neighbors as well as the family members because of the misspelling and names and stuff by the census takers. And then the one great census, in a way, is the, I think it was the 1880 or the 1900, where they actually asked the women, how many children did you have and how many are living? And oftentimes this tells you so much about a family uh, in terms of, wow, you know, I thought she only had two kids, and this says five with two living. And it mm. just starts you down this whole new amazing path. Mm. And in the midst of all of this, one last little piece, and I'll, I'll listen to my comments offline, it's been fascinating to me with the research over the 16 years, all of the cousins living that I've discovered that are involved in the research as well. And it really has extended my family in a wonderful, you know, really wonderful way. You know, I, I have experienced that too, Gordon, in that uh, uh, my, my cousin's daughter uh, was doing some research and she had some photographs that I had never seen. So we got to exchange photographs and that was, you know, right. something that uh, I hadn't seen. Hey, thank you very much for your call. But, but he's right. And, you know, I think that goes back to what I had said earlier that you learn more about uh, when you're talking about neighbors and uh, the, you know, where they lived and the township and all that, that it tells you a little bit more about the person than just what it says on the census form as farmer or engineer or anything like that. So it, it, it does help. Let's take another call from Norman in Lancaster. Norman, you're on the air. Thank you. Uh, you, you talked about the archival information in, in, in the past. Obviously, this information was either written down by hand or published in newspapers or in records from courthouses and things like that. With the advent of so much information, the Internet and all that kind of stuff, could you guys talk a little bit about the issue of what about history that we're going to be losing because of so much information, stories of that information, what's going to be happen, you know, 100, 200 years from now, is history that we're, we're generating and, and making today simply going to be lost? I'll take comments uh, offline. Okay. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, he's right. Everything was written down. What about today? Well, I always tell people that this is probably uh, since maybe about 
1995 or so will be the, the 50 worst documented years in the history of the United States because uh, as things go electronic, people don't necessarily think in terms of how our electronic records going to be preserved indefinitely. And uh, that's one of the tasks that the National Archives and the Pennsylvania State Archives uh, is currently involved in, that is, what do we do with records that never were in a paper form, and how are they going to be available 50 years from now or 100 years from now? As an archivist, we're not thinking in terms of saving the things for 10 years or even 50 years. We're thinking in terms of saving things for 1,000 years or forever, theoretically. And so how do we make things last that long? So it is really an issue, and I, I'm still a pencil and paper person, and I, I always advise genealogists, if you want to preserve your information permanently, put it in a printed form and you know, make multiple copies in multiple libraries and so forth. Now, you know, with cloud storage and all that type of thing now, it's, it's likely that things are going to survive electronically, but... Um, I'm still in favor of having a paper copy somewhere that, that I can look at and refer to. We have a caller here from York County. Uh, you're on the air. Hi, Hi. I would rather not give my name because I have too many relatives in York and Lancaster <laughs> County. But I was searching for a great-grandfather in a listing of Mennonite ministers about 25 years ago. And I couldn't find him listed anywhere. And so finally, we went to my mom and dad's house, and I said to Mama, I couldn't find him in any of those listings. And she said, oh, my, I guess they don't list the ones who got the housekeeper pregnant. Oh, okay. So My, my great-grandmother had died, and the housekeeper had stayed, and... So, but uh, so, are you related to the housekeeper, or no? I'm related to the original oh, wife okay. who died. But you're saying they didn't list it because he had a child out of wedlock, right? So, so he was a Mennonite minister for thirty-five or forty years. Mm. But well, I'm glad you called and told the story. Anyway, thank you very much for your call. And Kara, this kind of goes back to what you were saying. Sounds like he was banished in a way. And there is a Mennonite Historical Society in Lancaster County, and there might be records of him there. Maybe not in that list, but um, it's a very active historical society that focuses on the Mennonite Church. So there might be some records of him out there, but things happened at all times. So you just got to be aware of what's going on around you so uh, and, and realizing that we had someone who asked uh, what uh, free online website uh, if you wanted to get started uh, would you and free is the, the big word that was emphasized uh, would you recommend the the biggest free one is probably familysearch.org that's the one sponsored by the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints um, that's free access to that uh, everything on the State Archives web, Pennsylvania State Archives website is is free, um, and many counties have free free materials on their websites as well. Uh, some counties are putting up indexes; they're putting up uh, copies of records. Um, so th those are places to start. I, I, a lot of times I'll Google. I mean, Google's a great tool. I, I I'll Google Google what to. I want and see what 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 might be out there, and then um, just. You know, check to see if it's free before before I use it. Mm -hmm. And I know, at least in Cumberland County, um, the public library system had Heritage Quest, but now I think it's my 
Heritage or something. They just switched databases, but with your library card, as a card-carrying member of the Cumberland County Library System, I can use that database for free. Mm. The library system pays for that database for the members of the community. So your local library system may have something. We only have a few minutes left, and I'm going to try to get to a couple more of these emails. My ancestor is from Ohio. I can't find her maiden name. I have a lot of difficulty tracing women for this reason, especially since I don't know exactly where our marriage took place. This is from Linda in Lidditz. Any advice? And I have to say quickly so I can get to a couple others. I'm not that familiar with research in Ohio. It would really depend on the, uh, I, I would say, the time period uh, and what records are available. Um, it, we, in here in Pennsylvania, we, we can use sometimes if we can use death certificates to uh, sometimes track people's, the, the women's maiden names if the parents of a particular child are listed. So even though the parents may have died before death certificates were issued, if the child died uh, you know, more recently, you can look on his death certificate and see what the information might be there. There, there are a lot of different resources. Um, it just depends on the time period and the, and the location. Obituaries uh, in newspapers yes. a lot of times can be very helpful. Although obituaries are not as, uh, the farther back you go, the less information obituaries give. Although I have found some very valuable 19th century obituaries that helped me resolve some <laughs> some uh, problems. Oh, I've seen some that were a sentence. Yeah. You know, so-and-so died last yeah. week at yeah. on, uh, North Main Street. Uh, Barry asked, my mother-in-law was adopted as a young girl and has gotten interested in finding information. What, if any, hints may you have to begin finding information on her biological genealogy? You kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, quickly, what... Uh, what what would you advise? She may have to petition the county where the adoption took place to open those records. Um, the, at least in Cumberland County, they're closed, unless you, I guess, have an open adoption. But typically those records are closed until someone tries to open them. So you may have to start there to get that information. We have a minute left. Here's an interesting one. One grandmother is rumored to be an Indian. Any suggestions on how to research her? Uh, do you have a list of experts who can hire to check our work and help us with sticking point uh, ancestors? As far as experts, uh, the State Library of Pennsylvania has a list of genealogists on their website. You can also go to the website of um, uh, Association of Pro I think it's Association of Professional Genealogists (APG). They, they maintain a list of uh, professionals uh, who who would be available. As far as Native American ancestry, it's really going to depend on time period. If it's more recent, uh, the uh, the re the recognized tribes are required to register, and you can get information through registration. If it's older, you're really going to have to uh, dig through records. It's very difficult to track Native Americans in Pennsylvania because there were no registered tribes in Pennsylvania. Uh, so. Uh, a lot of times, Native Americans show up on records as being mulattoes or, or you know, uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, we could talk all day about this. And uh, thank you very much for the hour that you were able to give it to us. Kara Curtis, Archives and Library Manager, Cumberland County Historical Society, and Jonathan Steyer, the Supervisor of Reference Services for the Pennsylvania State Archives. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tomorrow, a possibility of Three Mile Island closing, also Flight 800 anniversary.